why are so many people, particularly young people, leaving the church? We discuss this and more with special guest, Dr. Reverend Glenn Packham on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, home for the creative intellectual. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, entrepreneurial stick in the mud. And with me as always is my deviously dashing co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and someone who loves church, but um, shamefully rarely goes. <laughs> yeah. I love the I love the idea of church, the concept, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, you know he's also honest, and this is why we love. Yeah, him. I try. Oh. I try. Well, all right. Well, uh, today with us we have a very special guest. He is a pastor, author, speaker, and songwriter who leads the New Life Downtown Church in Colorado Springs. He has a doctorate in theology from Durham University in the UK. He's one of the founding leaders and songwriters of Desperation Band and has, is an ordained Anglican minister and has written multiple books, including Worship in the World to Come, Blessed, Broken, Given, and Lucky. His latest book, The Resilient Pastor, will be out February 2022 and is available for pre-order now. He is the gracious, the glamorous, the gregarious, Reverend Dr. Glenn Packham. Dr. Packham, welcome to the show. Joseph, Nathan, my goodness, what an honor to be on with you guys. And I need a hype man like that. <laughs> Maybe when I pull in the- We rent ourselves out. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah right around Talk this time of day when I pull in the garage at home and the door opens <laughs> in my own house, that's where I could really use it. Perfect. Yeah, we can we'll, do that. We'll have our people call your people. We'll share our rates. It will be great. Well, uh, and fun fact that wasn't in Glenn's bio is- Glenn was actually has been my pastor uh, in different and various positions mm -hmm. since I was a teenager. I uh, went to New Life in uh, Colorado Springs, New Life Church in Colorado Springs, at which time and I went I went to tag in the mill. Yep. No yep. one who didn't go to New Life will know those. But uh, <laughs> Glenn was a worship leader. And now he is a pastor of New Life downtown, which I also attended. So, um, yeah, so I have known Glenn for many years as the pastor. So I'm so excited to have you on the show, Glenn. Uh, I love your family, Nathan. The Clarksons are, are dear, dear friends to us. So yeah, great to be chatting with you guys today. So what I'm hearing is that if you think that Nathan is a heretic, you know who to blame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people already think that. So write Glenn your letters. No, no, I, I, it's, I know him. It's mostly his own fault. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes. Um, well, anyway, I, I can already tell we're going to enjoy this. Um, but if uh, people, if you guys out there listening, watching this, if you enjoy this show, Nathan, where can people go to support the show or get more such great content that we provide? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.com to find out more about the show and their hosts. And they can also get in touch with us, us there and tell us how wrong or right we were mm -hmm. and suggest uh, future episodes. We also have a practice. I have a group on Facebook of almost a thousand people now. We have a lot of fun memes and discussions and really foster a, um, a, a, a place of, how do I say it? Good natured arguing. Um, so mm -hmm. we'd love to have one more overthinker among our ranks. So please join the Facebook um, uh, group. And also I want to give a special shout out today to our listeners in Zimbabwe. We found out that we broke the top 50 in our, um, in our, 
category on iTunes in Zimbabwe, which is really, really cool. And so we must have a few listeners out there and we, and we've actually connected with a couple. We are so happy that you guys are here. Thank you for listening. And um, yeah, shout out to all of our listeners in Zimbabwe. Anyway, uh, that should do it. Cool. Awesome. We're ready to get started. Let's do it. Awesome. So today we are discussing why people, Americans, and young people in particular, are leaving the church. According to the General Social Survey, religious nuns, those who do not identify with any particular religion, have risen to 23% of the American population, up from 5% in the 1970s. According to the Apostolic Magazine, those who regularly attend church dropped below 50% for the first time last year. The this is Much of this, most of this, is driven by generational with young people not less likely to be religiously affiliated than their parents or grandparents. The exodus of young people from religion, particularly the Christian faith, but not exclusively to that, has long been a subject of hot takes among cultural critics and alarm among the faithful, with everyone having an opinion as to why this is happening or whether this is a good thing or bad thing. Famous millennial YouTube stars Rhett and Link of Good Mythical Morning spoke for many when they explained part of the reason they left their faith was because of the church resistance to many pressing cultural issues that they had. However, others argue that the reason that the church attendance is shrinking is because the church has been too accommodating to cultural trends, not too little. So, Dr. Pacquiao, philosophically, I'm, I've discovered a sort of mostly an empiricist by temperament. Everyone always has a theory for why things are the way they are, and they all sound good, but eventually I always want to ask, okay, but what's your real-world actual evidence for this opinion or theory? So one of the things that's cool about you is that you're actually on the ground leading a church that is, you know, for a long time, you've seen a lot of these cultural trends, and is a church that is prospering, and prospering with in, uh, you know, diverse uh, population and young people. So, from your experience, research, perspective, why are so many people, particularly young people, leaving the church? And for their church leaders, who want to like reverse the trend, what have you found to be the most effective answers? Well, first of all, just to add to the data a little bit, hmm, so yeah. the book, The Resilient Pastor, that's coming out in February is a partnership with Barna Research. And awesome. we, did some, we did some new research of pastors, and we did some research with the general population about pastors or about church. And some of this data, it, there's also some existing kind of kind of Barna research about this stuff. I mean, weekly church attendance, and again, this is weekly church attendance, ah, yeah. has been on the decline for a lot of decades. And in fact, weekly church attendance has dropped to a, just below 30%, you know, in, wow. in U.S. adults. <clears throat> Now, again, that's weekly. So even if you are a person of faith, you're not going every week as right. per Nathan's admission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We are part of the data. I mean, yeah. Uh, and, and, and then you, you, you're also right, Joseph, that this really tracks generationally. So the elder generation, the older, you know, they're, they're more likely. They, they've all seen a decline. Actually, every generation has seen a decline. But if you track several lines in a row, the line with the highest percentage of weekly church attendance is the elders. And then you get down to the boomers, Gen Xers, and then millennials. But they all are following the same contours, mm, the same sort wow, of negative, negative dip, which is really, really interesting. And, and so, so the, the data is there on that. And there's an increase in church dropouts. So in 2011, it was, there's a, you know, 59% a kind of rate. Now it's up to 64% in, in 2019. So there is an increase in, in uh, people dropping out of, of church. So 
it's undeniable. I, I know some people have tried to put a positive spin on it and say, <laughs> yeah. oh, you, you know, it's normal for 18 to 25 year olds to sure. drop out of church. They'll be back when they <laughs> get older. Uh, it, you know, it's sort of like the Hamilton, Hamilton song, you know, they'll be back just, just you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's true. Interesting. And, and, and even though that has been true for previous generations where there is a bit of a boomerang that as you get older, you come back. I'm not sure we should count on that with uh, yeah. millennials mm. and, and younger generations. And so now we go into the why question, and this is where we move away from maybe quantitative data and get into a little bit more qualitative stuff. And yeah. I have to speak, I have to speak less authoritatively here because I'm only speaking from my perspective. And I recognize Colorado Springs. It's not New York city. It's not Seattle. Sure. It's not, you know, so we, we still are one of the places in the country where there is a, a high percentage of people who who would consider themselves Christians and all of that. But I, I, I do think one of the reasons people are, are leaving the faith is they, they, they have they have seen people in authority misuse their authority. Sure. And I think this happens on it. I mean, it's easy to point to the obvious ones. Our own church uh, infamously had a scandal with the senior pastor back in 2006. So right. that's the big obvious ones where there's a scandal or an affair or a hypocrisy sure, yeah. or whatever. But there's other ways that you misuse power. Uh, uh, one of the ways you misuse power is when you speak outside the bounds of your authority. So oh, a, pastor, yeah. a pastor who starts to tell people medical advice. I mean, we're seeing this kind of stuff in the pandemic or yeah, whatever. You know? yeah. oh, or a pastor who starts to speak about social issues, but they really don't know the complexity of social issues. So so let's just put some, let's say some controversial examples of this. A sure. pastor who says, uh, you, you know, Black Lives Matter is an evil thing, an evil movement. Well, gosh, there's a lot of complexity to that. And, right, and, yeah. and, and instead of naming the concerns or saying critical race theory is Marxist, well, okay, there's some legitimate questions and concerns sure. there. But without being able to parse that out, they really are in many ways speaking outside of the bounds of their training or their authority. And so people mm. see that. And they kind of call BS on it. They kind of say, you don't know what you're talking about. Like what? Sure. what? Mm. <laughs> so, so that's, that's another example of misusing authority. Yeah. You can misuse it in breaking trust, but you can also misuse it in, in speaking authoritatively. Another example of this, I, I've heard pastors say, you don't need medication for, for mental health struggles. You just need to pray. Mm, sure. yep. Yeah. In there. Now, now wait heard a minute. That. You're, that, that's outside the bounds of your training. You're not trained as a counselor. You're not. So you're kind of pretending that your office gives you carte blanche authority, almost like authority. And I think people see that and they say, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to, um, um, I don't trust this anymore. So in many ways, we've eroded our own credibility hmm. um, because of the way we've misused authority. Because we're, we're walking outside, perhaps, um, the places and the context in which God has asked us to speak in, too. Yeah. Um, and I, th I, I agree with you. I see that a lot. I see um, both right and left, up and down churches speaking, using the platform as more of a social yeah. um, microphone as opposed to, you know, this might sound a little cliche, but just teaching God's word yeah. and hoping and praying that um, that God will reach the hearts of, of the congregants and that they will make decisions out, out of their learning and connection with God. So I can definitely see that. But I'll also add a little bit here as someone, and I, and I might be in the minority here, I'm not entirely sure, but I don't think I am because I know a lot of um, 
people like me. And by that, I mean people who take their faith seriously, which I do. My faith is the center of my life and affects every decision I make and everything I look at in the world. Um, but as many of my close friends know, I really struggle with church. I really struggle to go to church, um, and find even really the desire for church. And, you know, something that has, um, I I think I I found in many, many places is, um, and and I felt bad for this for a long time, especially after, um, kind of my, my teens when I was out on my own in New York city and LA, I felt that I was supposed to enjoy church like everyone told me they were. And I saw people enjoying <laughs> church a lot. I saw people getting a lot of out, of out of church. But for me, I found I would go to church. I, I would have zero inclination or desire to go to church. Um, and when I did, I got little out of it. And by that, I mean, typically, I don't know how to say this. I would read books that were deeper and more interesting theologically than yes. any of the sermons being taught. Yes, I would have closer friends, more fun friends, more interesting, deeper um, outside of the walls of the church. And so when it came to Sunday morning, even though I take my faith incredibly seriously, I didn't see much benefit in being a part of um, maybe the formal body. I always consider myself a part of the universal church, but the formal um, body. And so that was something that I... I was gonna say I have experienced, but still do experience. And I still feel guilt about it. I still want to want to go to church, which is an interesting thing. But I think there's a lot of people like me out there. And I'm wondering what the answer to that is or or how do we rectify that? And I'm not entirely sure. And I'm I'm not saying the church should bend to my interests or whims or entertainment, um, but there should be this kind of intrinsic desire. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) No, Nathan, I appreciate that so much. And that's you're 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 not alone in that. I mean, there's there's plenty hmm. of people who feel like, man, I I want to drink deeply, I want to think deeply, and 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 you've you've kind of simulated that, or you've not simulated, you you've created that sure. uh, with your group of friends and with the reading and the stuff you're listening to. And so there is this, well, why do I need a, a a Sunday morning setting for this? And there's there's some truth to that, and there's a good challenge on the other end of that for a person like me who is working vocationally as a pastor to say gosh yeah am i am i doing some work to think deeply and to and to recognize the questions that people are coming in with you know and i Mm. i i I do think for for many pastors and then this goes in different denominations i could think of liturgical churches i could think of non-denominational churches where we're not aware of the questions that people are wrestling with so Mm. we just sort of do our own thing and we hope that that everybody will get on board with what we're we're talking about. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't think this needs to be, in, in fact, it shouldn't be gimmicky or, 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 no, or yeah. kitschy or anything. I'm not saying that. But you have to always think about the questions that people are wrestling with. When I'm writing a sermon, mm. when I'm writing a sermon, I, I, I try to think, what are the questions that people can't shake? You know, yeah. well, what are the yeah. longings that they can't name? What are the fears that they can't face? What are the tensions that they can't resolve? And I want to, I want to think of that as I'm preparing my sermon to say, in what way does, does this text um, uh, respond to that or enter into dialogue with those questions? Because it's not just, hey, here's the world of scripture, and then uh, good luck applying that to the world that you live in. It's not a, you know, it's not sort of even application per se. It, there is kind of this critical dialogue or critical conversation between our questions and our tensions and the, 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 the scriptures. And it does take work to do that. So I hear that and I hear a challenge in that. I also think on, on the flip side, yeah, 
it's okay to it's okay to have a, a a new imagination to say, hey, you know, if I have this community of people in my home or whatever, and this is sort of my church, I understand that. I think one of the questions I would put back is to say, but is there any room for a person that you would not have chosen or a person mm. that you would not have invited? And that's the part that makes church such a radical community. Interesting. You know, in, in the first century, it was the Jew-Gentile issue where the Jews didn't want the Gentiles unless they were Jewish like them in a particular specific way. Um, but but in our day, it's like, well, if they don't wrestle the way I do, then I don't know if that's, you know. Ah, and so, there again, there is a healthy discontentment about church that can provoke change. But there's also a sense of saying, you know what? This has never been about a homogenous group, even if that group is like me, people like me. So yeah. I, I once asked Eugene Peterson this, uh, that, you know, Eugene has gone on to be with the Lord. Eugene translated the message, uh, paraphrase. Amazing and, guy. And, and wrote yeah. lots of great books for pastors. I'm reading him right now. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got the privilege of spending a couple of days in his home. And I said, Eugene, you work for a very institutional church, a Presbyterian denomination, yeah. you know, and, and yet your work, your writing is, it sounds very anti-institutional, you know, like we don't want <laughs> pastors to be shopkeepers. We don't want, you know, very anti-consumer religion. And I said, some people have read your works and concluded that they just need to do house church kind of things where, mm. you know, you're on your back deck, you know, with a couple of friends and a beer and, and that's your, your church. And I said, what would you say to them? And he said, one, I would ask them, what's your connection to the apostles? Like, how do you know you are mm. actually carrying on the, the way of the, these first followers of Jesus? But, but maybe that's easy to resolve, you know, apostolic faith, the creeds, blah, blah, blah. But he said the second question I would ask them is, is there room for anyone that you would not choose? And that's that's the question that has stuck with me is part yeah. of why we go to a local church is to say, I don't really like these people, but they're my brothers and sisters. You wow. know? And yeah. Eugene, Eugene and Jan lived this out when they moved back to Kalispell, Montana, after their years in the seminary and, and after their years of pastoring. They went and joined this local Lutheran church and they served as door greeters, like ushers. You know, they, wow. they, 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 they he didn't preach. He didn't do any of that. And it wasn't because this church was awesome and lined up with all of his values and convictions. It was like, this is the church in my neighborhood, <laughs> which is there's something admirable about that. Yeah, the local church. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. And it sounds um a few of the things you mentioned were what I often hear from my more liturgical leaning friends, my Catholic friends, my Anglican friends, um, especially with the connection to history and the saints. And especially, um, you know, Catholic literally means universal and that talk about diversity. I'm not using that more in the in the modern cultural zeitgeist way, but more in the you have to be with people who you didn't choose, which is a really, really great pushback. Thank you for that. That was great. Yeah, I really, I really like there's a couple of, I really like a couple of the things you said there. Like the first thing about talking outside pastors who talk about outside their area of expertise. Yeah. And then also talking about the necessity of being around with people, you know, who are not like you and you wouldn't have chosen. I think those are, those are really excellent things. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say, you know, I have, you know, like a slightly, you know, uh, different experience from, from Nathan. I was, I, I've actually, like both of my, parents were ordained ministers. And so I, I grew up, you know, in a church, I didn't choose the churches. I didn't chose for most of my life. Then when I, I came to, yeah, it was just like, oh yeah, this is where, this is my family is. This is where, this is where my social kind of 
group is. And this is where the, that whole world is. Uh, but once I moved to New York City and I was like choosing my own churches, like I resonate with what Nathan said is that I, you know, the church, the only time I, I actually went to church, like I want to go to church this Sunday was when I was going to a church that Tim Keller was preaching at. Yeah. And, yeah. and the reason partly for that is that I'm getting so much great content here and great mm. ways of thinking about my faith. And to what you said uh, uh, that, you know, he would always seem to be silencing my inner critic and like uh -huh. answering the questions that I was asking. Mm. Is that whenever I hear a sermon, like I have 50 yeah buts in the back of my head, you know, yeah. and so, and again, and I don't want to like expect every pastor sure. to be like, to have a particular gifting that one pastor has. Mm. But I think that, you know, so, you know, so I, I like also a lot of the things you're saying because it doesn't jibe with sort of the trite answers that I often get about people leaving the church that I often get, which don't seem to, you know, comport to what I, what I've observed. Like, you know, there's usually it's like, oh, the church is losing members because they are too wedded to this kind of politics. It's like, well, yeah, but the other politics church is also shrinking. It's just <laughs> as true. You're right. And so it's like, well, so it's like, it can't be that they have the wrong politics because the other politics is also shrinking. And, you know, also like, again, I see people who are like, oh, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've had this kind of abuse and exploitation at church and Christian institutions, but then they'll go and join another institution like the fashion industry or Hollywood that does the exact same thing to them. And they yeah. don't want to, and they don't want to leave that. They want to reform that. They don't want to leave that. And so it's like, well, why is it that there's a double standard with, with church where people go on to leave that, but they want to reform these other institutions. And, mm. you know, I, I like what you said about the whole trust thing, because, you know, for, for me, what I see, and you could like you know, comment, push back and, and, or, you know, elaborate on this if you want. What I see is that people, and I, I've experienced this too, like don't trust that what the, the church leader says is going to match reality, whether that's mm. the reality of science. Like it's like, yeah. look, we all fly in airplanes. We all trust science. Like I, maybe I'm going to trust this more than, than what you're saying. It's like, or whether it's politics or whether it's, you know, sexuality, it's like, look, or whether it's, again, just my own personal experience in life. Like I've, I've struggled with the fact that most of the churches that I've gone to have said, look, this is how, you know, you need to be like, you know, have said like the values you need to develop of being, you know, super humble, super concerned with other people's feelings and, you know, and, and really don't put too much in achievement because that's going to lead to sin. It's like, well, actually most of the things that made my life better have been increasing confidence, you know, right. increasing achievements and not caring too much about other people's feelings, caring about them, but maybe not their feelings, yeah. you know? So it's, yeah. so there are things that, you know, that's like, so I think there seems to be a thing that's like, okay, the things that you're saying about how to live, about what reality is like or how to live a good life um, don't match my experience. And maybe the other aspect of this, and this is more anecdotal, but it is that what I see is that people are like, okay, maybe this is the church institution, you know, the church institution is going to, you know, oppress me or exploit me. Um, and this other institution, maybe like Hollywood is going to oppress me, exploit me. But they both are implying something and saying that if you allow me to oppress and exploit you, you're going to get something out of it. Whether the church is like, you know, with not, I'm not even saying like prosperity gospel for the church, but like, you know, you'll get inner peace, you'll get satisfaction, whatever it is. As I, and Hollywood says, yeah, well, you'll be famous. You'll get the satisfaction of using your arts. It's like, and, 
the other institutions seem like they, they both ask for a devil's bargain, but the other institutions actually fall through on the devil's bargain. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so mm, yeah. interesting. This, that's like, interesting. Um, so I think, I don't know, like, it seems to me like maybe, see, even that is a way of sort of like trusting that what you say is going to comport to reality. So that's, mm. I don't well, know. Joseph, so, I've had that a lot. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you. I've had that a lot. There's a lot of isms in church mm. and they don't yeah. match my reality. It's the, we do life together. Um, you know, if you're here, your family or, <laughs> yes. um, whatever it might be. And I, I can walk out of there and no one, no one will stop me or say, how's your week or whatever. And I know that sounds selfish, but I do, oh, but I think people are tired of empty isms. And so yeah. how do we make, how do we follow through? Like you were saying, Joseph, on the things that the church promises. Yeah. That's really, really good. That's really, really good. And I, you know, it's interesting, Joseph, you're talking about, you use the word sort of a, a, a oppressive, but even if we were to say there are certain restrictions or boundary sure, lines yeah. uh, and, and you say, I, I will accept these limitations in yes. order to have this um, yeah. benefit. And I, and that, that trade-off, you're, you're, it's an astute observation that that trade-off is always being offered. You, yeah. You're, you're, you're never, you're never being offered significance or meaning or purpose without a set of restrictions or limitations. It? Right. It, 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 it always comes together. Um, and, and, and in an ultimate sense, as a Christian, you'd say, well, but the Christian um, offer of lay down your life and then you'll find it is actually yes. true in that ultimate sense. Right. But, but in this localized expression, is the church right in saying, hey, give up some of your freedom, commit to this church, join a small group, and you'll get what? You'll get you know, true community, maybe. What if your small group yeah. sucks? You know, what if the people yeah. are jerks? I've mean, <laughs> a couple. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get what you're saying. It, it's hard to deliver on those things. And and there, there, there has to be some admission of, of, of reality here. What I think of when I think about, you know, obviously the key difference here with, with the, the erosion of trust in the church is even non-Christians understand that the church is supposed to resemble Jesus. And at mm. the bare, at the bare, <laughs> minute, I mean, people in America in the West, for sure, um, have this notion that, that Jesus, isn't Jesus supposed to be humble? Isn't Jesus supposed sure, to yeah. be servant oriented? So they may not accept him as divine. They may not accept the resurrection as a real fact, but people have a notion of Jesus as this kind of servant hearted mm. figure. Yes. And so then when churches don't resemble this savior, sure. it becomes more problematic than when Hollywood doesn't <laughs> resemble it or when then a university yeah, yeah. or an academic oh, situation sure. does not resemble they it. They may be awful, but they're not hypocrites. Yeah, Th that's it. That's it. <laughs> because and, Hollywood has never established themselves as someone say we're moral arbiters and, and we, yeah, exactly. this is how you ought to live life. Hollywood is just yeah. a place where movies are made. So exactly. the church is more hypocritical because it has higher standards of saying how we ought to live. That's exactly has more oughts. Yes. Yes. And I, I don't think, you know, I don't think sometimes people will say, well, what do you think is the answer? Do you, how do we regain credibility? Listen, I don't think that should be the goal. Uh, that mm, may be a result of doing the right thing, but you've got to do the right thing because it's the right thing. So, so if mm. I was talking to pastors, I would say, we have to think about how we use power and influence and whether or not it looks like the self-giving cruciform love of Christ, mm. is it washing people's feet or is it lording it over them? 
And, and maybe if we, re, you know, maybe one result of that might be that in our local communities, we regain some trust and credibility, but that can't be the reason we do it. Mm-hmm. And I'll speak specifically here for our own church. I, I mentioned the scandal in 2006, new senior pastor came in and we began to kind of change our posture. We are one of the larger mm-hmm. churches in the community. And prior to, to that, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, that influence, if you will, was leveraged as a megaphone for uh, political reasons. So it was like, sure. hey, this is an mm. amendment that we need to speak out about. And this is sure. a, a, a cause that we need to rally around. And that obviously created some alienation from people sure, who are not sure. Christians. It alienated people in our community. So then when, when we had the scandal, everyone was like, bro, what in the world? You know, this is what we yeah. always thought Christians were. So when the new senior pastor came in, our focus became not how do we leverage our size or our people for, for our, as a megaphone, but rather how do we, how do we, you know, pick up a towel and wash people's feet. So we began Mm. to ask around in our city, where are the gaps in healthcare coverage? Where are the gaps of service needs? And, and we discovered some of them. Okay. There's a gap in, in healthcare for women between 16 and 65. Okay. There's a lack of housing for, for, um, moms and their kids who are fleeing situations of domestic violence. And many times these mm-hmm. women are, are sleeping in their cars in a Walmart parking lot, not wanting to go to any local authorities, lest they lose their kids or, or get in trouble from their, uh, you know, husbands or partners or whatever. And, and so we, that led to creating um, the, the dream centers, which has a medical clinic and has an apartment for these. So that's the posture of saying, if in so much as we have influence, in so much as we have a kind of power because of numbers or because of dollars, let's leverage that for service rather than leverage that for more cultural um, power. And and that, look, it has resulted in some regained credibility, but you can't do it for that. Sure. You have to yeah. do it because this is what Jesus looks like. And if the church is the body of Christ, then we must become like Christ. Whether or not culture looks at us uh, favorably. Exactly. And I think that is one thing that I, you know, um, to New Life's credit, the last time I remember enjoying church was when I was attending New Life. Now, that now that's crazy because that's, I, I, you know, left after I was 18. Um, but I've always appreciated <laughs> when I come back to New Life that it it's seeking to do what it says. Mm-hmm. And I think what maybe a lot of, you know, right now, specifically speaking to the young people leaving church, yeah. um, uh, there's been some studies and I'm not going to be able to recall them, but uh, <laughs> of buzzwords and especially working with publishers and um and uh, distributors of my films, there's these few buzzwords that they like to use in ads and they, wow. they say they really appeal to the younger generation. And a few, what they are, authenticity, our sure. realness and rawness. Now, to me, what that says is we live in a culture with so many things that, are, uh, that have great facades, but ultimately empty. And I think that if you read scripture, that's what it says about the world, even back you know, 2000 yeah. years ago, yeah. yes. that the world is filled with a lot of great facades mm-hmm. and ultimately they are empty. You, you could even call sin in another way, a facade that's ultimately empty. It looks yeah, great. Um, and so I think what people have found in church is what they found literally everywhere else, which is the, the image is great. Yeah. but ultimately it's empty that you say you want to be generous, but ultimately my money's going to, you know, their um, uh, shoes. And, yeah. and I bring that up because there's a very yeah. popular Instagram yeah, account that came out. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, Glenn, how much do your shoes cost? I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, but I, I, go ahead, go ahead. But, I was gonna say, but, but ultimately I think that the church 
um, has to follow through. And we, we, we said this a little bit earlier, but I, I think um, if we want to regain credibility, it can't be the, the reason we do, but if we want to, the desire should be, if we want to affect and change and love the world, we have to be people who are more than facades. Yeah. We have to make sure our communities are following through on the things it says. So if you know there's a lack of community, really go all out to foster community. Yes. If you know there's a lack of healthcare, it's not yeah. enough to put up a post about something, you know, well, women shouldn't get abortions. Well, what are you doing to help their health care? Yeah. And so it needs to, it needs to have something beyond just the facade of um, that we see every day on social media, TV, yeah. whatever, whatever it might be. Church can't be another place where people see that because it, we will end up with disillusioned um, people. Now, I'm going to add one more thing in here um, that I'm always reminded to when I think about church and think about even spirituality. There's a guy named Father Giussani, Father Luigi Giussani. Mm. I don't know if either of you know him. I quote him a you, lot. You've mentioned him a lot. Was, so yes, I do know. Yeah, I have. He's, <laughs> he's one of my new favorites and he's, I'm trying to make him famous because he is as influential in my life as C.S. Lewis now. Mm. Um, but he was the right-hand man to Pope John Paul. He was a cardinal and he started the movement Communion Liberation. And it's funny, this cardinal, he talked about people not liking church. This is a cardinal, by the way, who's next to the Pope. He's a Pope's advisor, best friend. And he was talking about, of course they don't. And he created this thing called communal liberation. But essentially his whole philosophy, his all of his work uh, centers around desire. And he says at the bottom of every desire lays Christ. And, and that can be... Um, Whatever it is like, because church has traditionally talked about, you should stop wanting this, don't want sex, don't want drugs, don't want this. And he said, no, 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 no. Look at that desire and go to the bottom of it, because all those things are seeking to fill um, the parts of ourselves that, that God, a good connection with the creator was meant to. And so this whole thing was about desire. And that has me thinking a lot lately about churches trying to what church ought to do isn't try to be the coolest, isn't try to be the, the snazzies with the, the best music. Great music is great, by the way. And by the way, New Life has fantastic music, but that's not the heart of New Life. No. And that's not the heart of what the church ought to be. No. It yeah. ought to try to connect with the intrinsic desire that lay in the, so in the, the bottom of every human heart. Yeah. And I think what we're not doing right now is trying to look at the the base desire of the human and especially this generation. And when and until we answer that in authentic and fulfilling in actual ways, I think we'll continue to see this decline. You're, you're exactly right. You're exactly right, Nathan. And it makes me think of a couple of things. One, um, when Miroslav Volf um, finished his, his um, dissertation and all that, Jürgen Moltmann was his advisor. And Volf tells this story. I've heard him tell it at a retreat setting where he was trying to figure out, well, what do I do now? You know, now that I've got this dissertation done, how do, how do I actually be a theologian, you know? And Jürgen Moltmann said, find out what moves people and then shine the light of the gospel mm. on it. Mm. But I think mm. that speaks to what you're saying. Find out that longing, yeah. that yearning that's underneath mm. everything, and then and then shine the light of the gospel onto that longing. And sometimes that longing is affirmed. Sometimes that longing is chastened. Sometimes it's confronted. But mm -hmm. but you, you've, you've got to do that work of, of uncovering that. So I, I fully agree. And then to speak specifically to what you said about um, the authenticity thing and the realness thing and and the the hollow shell, you know, I, I I hear that and I think, gosh, it sounds like we can never fail as the church. But but what are we except a community of, mm. of broken people who who are being saved and being mm -hmm. redeemed? And I'm reminded by a coffee that I had with the Orthodox priest in our town uh, some years ago, <laughs> and I I was at the time my role at the church was. Uh, to to help coordinate some of our efforts for spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. And I asked this Orthodox priest, I said, what is discipleship to you in the Orthodox tradition? And he said, repentance. Mm -hmm. 
He's like that. That's what it is: is repentance, the 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 willingness to always turn away and turn toward, to turn away and turn toward. And and recently, I read a quote that John Calvin said something similar: that repentance is at the heart of Christian life. So there you have it in the Reformed tradition as well. And <laughs> On both, both sides, good. Yeah, both yeah. sides. So so maybe maybe this is something that we need to recover that. The idea is not a church becoming more perfect and therefore not mm. losing people anymore, but a church that is willing to confess its sins, a church that's willing to say, you know what, we, we're, we're not great at loving one another. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We, are, we say that every week in our mm. communion confession prayer. And that's true on the individual level, and it's true on the on the corporate level. And and that's that, you know, Joseph, your, your, your comment about the Hollywood stuff. I mean, that is another way that maybe the church can be different than these other institutions mm, is there can be a repentance and there can be grace. Mm. I mean, one of, we, we were joking about cancel culture, you, you know, before hit, hitting record and all of that stuff with getting canceled. <laughs> there is every there is a, a, a moral fundamentalism is alive and well in various forms of the left. <laughs> Everywhere. And the yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. It is alive and well, moral, but but what what every kind of fundamentalism misses is repentance and grace. Hmm. Where where hmm. is the grace in, in in this? And so, to me, as the church, we've got the greatest, we've got the the crown jewel of all of this. We've we've got hmm. this offer of God's grace. So repentance is the access into that, and grace is the jewel that's being offered. And that's the thing we, we, we can put on display to the world, not our perfection, but our mm. repentance and God's marvelous grace. Well, and ultimately, out of that repentance and grace comes new life, which is what yes. we're all ultimately longing for. I absolutely love that. Uh, Joseph, that's closing awesome. thoughts? Yeah. Comments? I say, so I, I like, you know, again, the things we're talking about here about if you're if being if your pastor speaking about the things you're actually an expert in and have authority in and having that credibility yeah. um and i also like to tell you the the seeing the church as a place where creative problem solving happens about the problems that are actually you know is because again you like you were saying okay well what are the actual needs here well is there a way to solve it and like that's that's something that like is i don't know as a young person say like, oh if there's a first place around here that is actually thinking about solving problems, maybe that's a place that I can actually do some good, or I can contribute to figuring out a way that we could do some good. That's a very exciting thing. I like the fact also that you pushed back on the idea of, um, on, on the idea, like the church doesn't have like something to offer, you know, like that spirituality itself can do. Cause like, you know, the thing that religion has over spirituality is other people. Uh, that, exactly, that, and other people that you didn't choose. Right. And again, you know, I, I, the the fact is, you know, again, it, they did a study during the pandemic. The only people who had increased mental health during the pandemic were people who regularly went to church. Right. You know, it, and it, the things I think that I think that I know for for me, I would say, you know, the challenging the way I'm trying to challenge myself and challenge others is that you know, treat treating the church as the institution. The way we treat other institutions that we don't abandon instead we try to reform them and again like you know it's, it's true like this whole thing is partly the trend with not attending church is a part of a trend of not trusting institutions in general also and, and although church is sort of you know is is a biggest aspect of that but it is also that but also thinking about it's like okay is this i mean is there are certain abusive churches that it's like you get out of there but if you think about okay yes, are there ways yes, to reform absolutely. are are there ways and examples that i can reform rather than abandon um yes. 
And I, I would say that thinking about it again as an aspect of, look, here's the project, the Christian project of believing in God and building the kingdom of heaven and looking at that as the project and not gaining power or trying to gain credibility. Um, you know, or, or again, you know, this is, this is the thing you mentioned this about how, you know, repentance, you know, I, there's a, there's a turn off often for me for that because repentance usually means today what I see it as bowing to social pressure and mm. finding or groveling, or groveling or, yeah. is it's like, okay, I'm doing this because capitulating. Uh, and so it's like, how, yeah. how yeah. do you, as and like giving a model for, like you said, of yes, having standards, but also having grace, but also how do I repent without simply capitulating the pressure? Like, I don't yes. see any place in the world that's doing that. And if the church could actually do that by only capitulating, only repenting when they're wrong and not repenting yeah. when they're right, you know, that's like, good. That's good. <laughs> that's, um, I, I, I mean, that's a place again, it's like that would have more credibility than almost any other institution that yeah. I see in the world right now. So again, I, I think, I think that you have actually said some things here that I, I'm not seeing anyone else talk about. And I really appreciate that. So, which is a perfect segue into go buy, go pre-order Glenn's yes. book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Give us Thank the title you. again yes, and where people can find it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the Resilient Pastor, you can pre-order it on Amazon for sure, but I also saw it as a pre-order on Target.com or I mean, Barnes and wherever you buy books, uh, Barnes and Noble, whatever you, you can pre-order it on any of those places. And there's, there's loads of fascinating data. I mean, uh, pastors considered as a trustworthy source of wisdom, 23% of Christians said, or 31% of Christians said, yes, definitely, but, but non-Christians only 4%. So of course that's mm. true. It is a pastor yeah, trustworthy yeah. source of, you know, no. And, and, you know, maybe one, one final note on this. I don't think a pastor or a church is the be all end all of mm. the wisdom of God or the life of God or the sure. truth of God, you know? And, and again, this is, this is maybe one of the final pulling out the final Jenga block of the collapse of Christendom kind of thing is where, where the pastor was assumed to be the center of the village or the, the church was the center mm. of, the, of the community. I, I think it's almost healthier to recognize that God's truth shows up in lots of spheres. And it, it in a way it, it pushes toward the priesthood of all believers so that uh, a doctor like Francis Collins, who's who's a yeah. strong mm. Christian and you know lives there in New York and and is trying to work in healthcare as a healer with the healing hands yeah. of Christ with all this stuff. That's a wonderful picture of the wisdom of God coming through Francis Collins. We don't need a pastor to be a medical expert. We can have a medical expert who's genuinely a medical expert who is a Christ follower using that as their ministry. So, you, you know, the, you, another one of Eugene Peterson's book titles is called, it's from a line in a poem, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. Mm, there, yeah. there is this idea that Christ is at work through Christians everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's not to diminish the importance of church or pastor. We've already talked about why that matters, yeah. but it is also to de some of that decentering is good. Uh, and, mm. and, and, and we can say, you don't have, they don't have to be the sole source of wisdom. And it's good for us, for me as a pastor to embrace that kind of humility mm. to say, where are the where is the body of Christ? Where are the limbs and arms mm, and all mm. the where, where Christ is being displayed in the arts and yeah. in in medical fields and in in education and other ways, um, so that the pastor doesn't presume to be the sort of all authoritative central voice in a community. Sure. 
Mm. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, on that See, note. That was liturgical, uh, yes! evangelical. <laughs> <laughs> we represent it all here. Um, awesome. Well, on that note, let's move on to uh, blesses and curses of the week. So in this segment, we talk about a piece of art or a work of resource that we want on, on our topic that we want to either recommend or we want to uh, condemn, critique, have people stay away from. I'm trying to figure out, recommend is good for bless. I'm trying to think of a good synonym for curse. <laughs> like stay um, away from. Yeah. Stay away <laughs> from. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I know that uh, you are invited, as always, as a guest, you are invited, Dr. Pacquiam, to uh, to uh, participate, but you're not also obligated. Um, would you like uh, like one of us to go first and then you uh, yes. come and Please go the- first. Let me let me see how. Okay, okay, cool. Also, knowing you're a pastor and you have to watch what you say, you're allowed to just bless something. You don't yes, have yes, to yes, curse. Yes, yes, exactly. yeah. yes, 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 yes. No, um, many of our guests choose to do that, and we totally respect that. We will fall on the sword. Uh, yeah. Exactly. All right. Although so I'm struggling. Uh, I'm struggling for a curse. I'll, I'll, I'll jump I'll go, in and go. I'll go first. No, you go. Yeah, I'll go first. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go for it. So I'm going to do one sort of returning bless and one new bless. Um, my Turing bless is is and people are tired of this by now, but I will very quickly bless the movie Believe Me, which is a Christian comedy that came out um, a few years ago. And it, I think it's probably the only movie I've seen that really, from a Christian perspective, a Christian millennial's perspective, seriously addresses uh, millennial Christians' concerns while also mm. not taking them at face value. It's like, you know, yes, your concerns are very valid. Some of your answers are kind of stupid. But it's millennial mm. Christians saying that about millennial Christians. And so I think that that it's, I think if you want to actually, it's the only like movie I think is doing that or has done that. And so I think if you're out looking at the idea or movie about that, give you an idea of that. I think it's, this is a great movie to do, but um, I want to watch. Now, on the other hand, I also have a book series that I've just gotten into that I'm very excited about because it's basically like it was written just for me. Um, it may be most, in, uh, is um, the uh, counterpoint um, book series, which if people don't know what the counterpoint book series is, it's basically takes a, a topic in Bible or theology, whether it's homosexuality or inerrancy or God's providence or, you know, women in ministry. Um, and it says, and it says, okay, we're going to have like four or five different scholars write an essay in here and then have all the other scholars who wrote the other essays respond to cool. that essay. And that's great. for me, it's like, that's exactly what I'd to see the debate back and forth, but not just like a debate you'd see on YouTube where people are kind of in the moment and don't have the right answers but like i can actually have reasoned responses to each other and that has been so so deeply helpful for me in thinking through a lot of these very important topics so again if you're somebody who wants to be a thinking person and a church member or a pastor like i really recommend that book series to thinking about these topics i really was very excited about that um the other thing i think the other thing i'm going to curse this is what i'm going to curse is the movie, not the book. I want to clarify the movie Blue Light Jazz. Uh, oh, interesting. Yes. Wow. And so, like, the, the like, you know, from what I understand, the book, I haven't read it. Like, the, the memoir is a Love great Love the mem- book. Yeah. You've talked a lot about it. The memoir is great about somebody's journey from like learning about like his own Christian upbringing and struggling with the incongruencies that he's seen, you know, between that and reality. The thing is, the movie, when I watched it, it had a lot of the same problems most Christian films have in a sense that was like really preachy really kind of heavy-handed and it what it sort of did is it sort of fell into this trap of the problem with christianity is that 
you know, it's too wedded to these politics and it needs to be wedded mm. to these politics. And it's kind of like, no, no, yeah. no, you're almost there. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're almost there. But that's, but the thing is, that was sort of at the start of that movement. Well, not the start of the movement, but like in, as the trend was like, we're going to get away from Christians versus the new atheists and get into a Christianity is okay, but these politics aren't. And it's like, it's, and the thing is, we've seen that play out and that hasn't yes. actually been the answer to yeah. Christianity that people thought it was going to be. So I think yeah. sort of particularly in retrospect, I think that that's the answer it tried to give was a bad answer. So in terms of execution and in terms of message, the movie, not the book, I mean, a curse blue like jazz. Um, well, I would, I would say that with the blue like jazz, cause I'm a huge fan of the book. It really, yeah. um, as a, as a young believer, it was really healthy i think for me to mm -hmm. read it because it allowed me to ask questions allowed me to have problems allowed me to search in in a way that still allowed me to uh, love my faith so i yeah. loved the book i haven't seen the movie in years but i would say it could have been maybe one of the kind of starting books of the deconstructionist movement um which i think i think the deconstructionist movement has fantastic questions my as you said my problem sometimes is i don't know always if they have great answers so i think we've become we're getting better taking things apart but i'm i want to see what we actually build after we've taken the thing apart yeah because um, destruction is always easier than construction um yeah. but th those are great joseph um i'll go i'm gonna bless everyone's heard me bless this a million <laughs> times it really just is I, man, I got to say, I think it's probably one of the finest movies made in the past 20 years, mm -hmm. but it's also with one of my favorite actors, Brendan Gleeson, who I'd love to um, uh, have just AKA a Mad-Eye Moody. Because so right? good. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mad-Eye Moody. Yep, you got it. But he is absolutely amazing. He plays in this movie, Calvary, he plays a Catholic priest in a little uh, town where no one goes to church um, and everyone hates um, the church, mm -hmm. especially it's a Catholic church. And so there's a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of hate for it. In fact, the movie opens very, um, uh, in a really difficult scene, the movie opens, he's giving a confession to someone he can't see. And this is the premise of the movie, so I'm not uh, spoiling anything. And the person on the other side of the uh, the, the wall says, I was um, abused as a child by a priest. And in a week, I'm going to kill you. And um, the priest says, but I'm a good priest. I've never done these things. And uh, his reply is, well, you took something good from me, so I'm going to take something good from the church. And so basically, it's just this priest in a town a week before he's going to meet someone who says he's going to kill him. And it shows us this absolute care for everyone in the town, even when they hate him. And that's what I think the really is beautiful about mm. the church when it can happen mm -hmm. is um, people who care about the beauty and care about people even mm. when they're hated. And it's just mm. this beautiful, beautiful picture. Forget about, I mean, I'm not even talking about the absolute stunning acting and cinematography oh. and the artistic I, level. It's, it's, it's amazing, amazing, like some of the actors and like Chris O'Dowd is in there. Oh like, yeah. You know, the um, guy who played Lil Finger from Game of Thrones is in there. I mean, it's just great. Some great pieces of work. And so, so, yeah. Really, really. Yeah. So no, I absolutely, I, I love Calvary. Um, for Curse, I'm really struggling today i want to <laughs> pierce those like entire movements or something um i don't really have like a good curse so this might be like one of my first ones in a while i don't have a great curse i was going to curse something like bill maher's old um anti-christian uh documentary yeah. what was yeah. it called but, you know, yeah. i actually like bill maher he's a funny guy um so i remember when that came out though that was just oh my goodness um but i if they, i was going to curse something you know something of that sort um even though i i didn't Sometimes often enjoy Bomar as a person. He's funny, but it's that 
I think there are a lot of things to criticize about the church. And in this documentary, um, they're all the wrong things. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, very many of them are straw men. There are plenty of things, yes. plenty of accusations and criticism to have against the church. Um, it just seems like very often being culture documentaries or whatever it is, you're just, it's the wrong ones. And yeah. it's, it's straw men. So I, I feel like aim better when yeah. you want to criticize Christians, totally fair, just aim better. Yeah. That's, that's um, so that would be my, that'd be my curse. That's, that's why, how I feel about like most um, fictional depictions of Winston Churchill when they want to make him look bad. It's kind of like, <laughs> like you're making stuff up. You don't have to make stuff up don't to make him to. like, yeah. you know, and I love Winston <laughs> Churchill, but like, if you want to do stuff, there's a bunch of stuff you could do. There's I don't stuff. know why you're making things up. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> great. The Winston Churchill uh, problem. That's yeah, great. Exactly. Good. I like it. Very, very. Yeah. Okay. I, I, here's what I would like to bless. Mm. Um, there's a book I read recently by an Australian historian, um, mm. and the book is called Bullies and Saints. John Ooh. Paul Dixon is his name. And it's an honest, humble look at church history without, mm. I think, without capitulating or without moving, without denying mm. um, the real blessings that Christianity has had on mm. civilization, societies all around the world. Wow. So it can say things like, Christianity is the singular um, most charitable movement in, in, the, in the history of, of human civilization. And it can say, and th these are some of its, you, you know, moments of, of flaws and all that. So mm. Bullies and Saints was a great book. I That's blessed awesome. that. Yeah. Great title. Great yeah. title. Yeah. And, and then on the contemporary side, the, the new podcast from Christianity Today, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Ah, oh, yes. I've been meaning to listen to this, I heard blessed, a lot about it. Yeah, I blessed that because, you know, it could have been done as an expose, sensationalized hit sure. piece kind of thing. And some people probably feel that it, that there were elements of that. I, I, my experience listening to it was that it was sobering hmm. uh, and hmm. it zoomed out enough to kind of say, how have we as Christians made this kind of culture and this kind of church possible. Um, it's also sobering to say in what ways are churches that never had scandals still uh, replicating these same sort of systems or structures, you know, or cultures. Interesting. Uh, it know, must be interesting listening to it as a pastor as well. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Because it's easy to condemn. You know, you can throw the baby out with the bathwater after a scandal. On the other hand, you can also sort of say, Oh, well, we haven't had a scandal, therefore everything's okay. Right. Well, that that's not mm, true. Either, interesting. You know? uh, so I, I think the podcast really makes you think. What I would like to curse are... Ooh, he's uh, going to curse something. Ooh, yeah, nice. And I, and I mean by this, I reject yeah. the, the use of Jesus as a mascot for different um, sure. yeah. cultural, mm. social agendas. And interesting, the and the corresponding use of scripture as a slogan for those things, and this is truly on the left and on the right. You know, yeah. people made such a big deal. Amen. Of the former president Trump, when when he would misuse scripture and this and that, and use the Bible as a prop. Sure, true. And what about uh, you know uh, Biden's use of Isaiah six to about the American Gosh. military? Like my oh, goodness, that's yeah. You know, Isaiah six is a few chapters after Isaiah two, where we're beating swords into plowshares. So yeah. I'm not. That's not the right way to uh, you know apply scripture, scripture. So, context. Right. Yeah. Don't right. do this. Don't, Don't break it. it. <laughs> so I I'm not a fan of yeah. It's the Jesus plus idea where Jesus mm, plus yeah. my Americanism or Jesus plus my gun rights or Jesus plus 
plus my my uh, you, you know left or right kind of agenda. So yeah, yeah. So Amen. that stuff I reject. I do curse that. <laughs> Amen. No, it's 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 almost like people from the. You, I've been reading through the Old Testament and reading some um uh, some interesting guys. It was almost like from the very beginning, people have sought to use God names for their own prowess, yeah. selfish <laughs> agendas, whatever it is, and it is still going on. On and by the way, like you said, this is on every group, every political side, yes, every yes, belief. Yes, yes. We we and even personally, we seek to use God to justify yes. our own means rather than yeah. get to know Him. So, Amen. Yeah. That's a great. I, that's a great I, curse. I often tell my, safe my curse too. Friends, <laughs> safe. I'm pretty sure the Bible. How curses dare it you too, suggest yeah. that we shouldn't appropriate <laughs> Jesus for our own? <laughs> the end of the book of Revelation. If anyone adds to this book, a curse be on you. I mean, I think yeah, that's yeah, the idea. Yeah. <laughs> add yeah. your agenda into the scriptures. So yeah, yeah. You you you're, you probably have done the first curse that actually is a theological correct. <laughs> 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 so, that's great. So well done, well done. Well, this is awesome. Thank you. I very much enjoyed this this episode. So anyway, um, just as a last minute wrap up, because people, including myself, have short attention spans. If there are playful uh, uh, things, uh, any place that people can reach you, if you want them to get in contact with you, or uh, some you want to want to promote uh, before we social media the book social, exactly. if they want to learn more about you and, and connect where can they go glennpakium.com is the best place to do that and that's mm. glenn with two n's and pakium is p-a-c-k-i-a-m so glennpakium.com you can link to my social media accounts there. There's video links, book resources, all of that stuff. Awesome. On my website. All in one space. Very That's cool. Awesome. Well, thank and, you so much for being here. It, it was great to see you again, Glenn. And, uh, Nathan, and any of my criticisms. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Any of my criticisms, I love against the church or pastors have nothing to do with you. So you're yeah, safe. Yeah, I, I'm sure that's not true, but thank you so much. And it's great to chat with you, Nathan, and, and to you, Joseph. Yeah. Yes. So if you want to get in touch uh, with you, Nathan... Uh, NathanClarkson.me. You can find me on the socials. Um, just search my name, Nathan Clarkson. Joseph, how can people find you? Uh, people can find me at josephholmstudios.com. You can find me on all the socials as well. I also write periodically for Religion Unplugged. You can find uh, some of my work there. All right. Well, thank you everybody very much for joining us. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. <laughs> nice. <laughs>